Well, good morning. Wasn't that a nice little rain we had this morning? Cool things off a little bit. And you can count on it getting hotter. And maybe raining again someday. Or maybe the next day. But it's good to be in the house of the Lord. For I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That's the gathering place for the Christians. And we're here this morning for that purpose. And we've already begun that process of worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm glad you're here as well as I'm glad to be here. When I was a lad, I knew everybody that lived around our little house. On one side of us was the Kegels. They had retired and they had a son who was drafted into the Navy. So as far as World War II was concerned, I was always Navy. My dad was World War I. He was Army. So I had a little conflict there. Across the street was uh, Cashiers. They came from California. Next to them were the Millers. And then on the other side of us was the uh, Jacksons. He was tall, thin fellow. His nickname was Shoestring. And Shoestring and Blondie lived next to us. And my grandmother and grandfather lived diagonally across the street. I can remember it vividly who influenced my life growing up. People influence your lives as you're growing up. And I want to introduce to you some people this morning that had influence. There was Thomas. He was driven by fear. And he was a king. He was what they called Pharaoh. But he was a fellow that uh, didn't have enough self-confidence. And he overcame it by mistreating people. And he gave edicts. For he was afraid that the people that lived up in the better part of the land that you could get three crops a year on. It started out there were about 70 people that moved in there. Joseph was the administrator of Egypt. And he then showed some favoritism to his family of Abraham when there was a food shortage nationwide, worldwide. But Joseph had saved the day through storage of food. And 70 people of Joseph's family moved down and he gave them the better part of the land. 70. Now when Thurpos has come to rule, there are over a million people. They have multiplied a little bit. And he knows not Joseph. Doesn't understand anything of the spirit of Joseph as administrator who really ruled as a king. 
But this fella felt that if these people grow up any more than where I am now, and another nation wants to come and make war on Egypt, they'll join them and fight against us too. That was his choice. It was his conclusion. I think it wrong. So he decided that he would uh, make things where that wouldn't happen. So he increased their labor. He made them as slaves in making brick, adding straw, and building cities. But they began to multiply anyway. And that confused him. He was ruled by fear. His troubling edicts resulted in a mere reduction of population he hoped. And he was always having to look over his shoulder as a leader because of his edicts. The first person, the next person that influenced our man of the day were the parents of Moses. And there was Jochebed, his mother, and Amon, his father. Those names aren't in the text of Exodus chapter 2, but you mix in a little secular history with it and you get a little feedback. And Jochebed, that doesn't sound like a feminine name to me, but that was her name according to history, Jochebed. And uh, they had three children. There was Aaron, Marion, and Moses. And at this particular time in the text, Moses is about three months old. Then there's the princess that's in the story that influenced the life of this baby Moses. She was Pharaoh's daughter, and she enjoyed the waters of the Nile River. And the, the Jochebed and Amram knew her habits, that she'd come down to the Nile River on certain schedules, and so they tried to avoid one of the Bypass one of the edicts, the Thumas. And this is what they did. One of the edicts was that all male children are not to be, at birth, are not to be let, let live. Girls can live. But Moses was a boy. And if she followed the the rule of the king should have to dispose of Moses. Suppose she had. Where would we be today with some good laws? But she didn't do that. She had faith. The male boys were to be thrown into the Nile River 
to just, that's how you got rid of them. So she kind of did that. She took that three-month-old baby boy and put him in a basket, and she lined that basket with some material that made it waterproof. Some resources say she floated him down the river to arrive at the point where the princess had arrived. But as I understand the text, she put him among the vegetation that was in the Nile River. If we might say she put him among the cattails. But the river doesn't have cattails, but uh, the vegetation is there. And when the ladies saw that, when the princess saw that, she said to all of her attendants, look at there. And they were all, I guess, imagining what happened on that day, looked at it and said, oh, well, well. And so the princess said to her, not attendant, but to her slave girl, there were attendants and a slave girl. And the slave girl, I guess, was a go-getter. Every office has a go-getter. And this slave girl went down into the water, brought that basket out, opened it up. And the princess saw that that was an unusually looking baby. Is the way that it's described that she must have had a Shekinah glory and don't ask me to explain that, but it's something good. It's the kind of glory of God. And that's the way he looked to her. And so she wanted to keep that baby. Now why would she want to keep that baby? Because the princess has no husband and no children. And this princess then is not able, is not qualified to inherit the throne of Egypt from her father. Eventually she has some brothers, but she's older. And so she had political reasons for wanting that baby, but she also was impressed with him. And then there are the children, Moses' sister, who was observing all of that. You know the story. What I thought was funny about it was that the Pharaoh wanted to get rid of all the male children and uh, babies, and now they're using Pharaoh's money to take care of Moses. So it seemed like it just went back on him, and uh, he got a little burn out of it. What I'm interesting about the history of this is though I, they don't give us the name of uh, the given name of this princess but later on she married her half-brother as the story goes in history. 
And she became a Pharaoh herself. Can you imagine that? The name they tell me of her as the Pharaoh was Hatshepsut. Soot, rather, soot. Hatshepsut. What a name. Back in those days, those people had some funny names. Well, if you think they're funny, you ought to live in Louisiana. I grew up with a lot of names there. Okay, so she <laughs> was a, she was a very creative person as a pharaoh and moved Egypt forward. Then there are the midwives involved in all of this. If you've not got the name of the midwives, what they do? They help deliver babies. They were sort of like nurse practitioners that could do things like that, midwives. And there were at least two of them. Now remember the people that lived there, they helped the women deliver babies. So the king said, what you do, talking to the midwives, you don't let the male live. But they begin to grow anyway, to expand anyway. And so called the people together, or the midwives together, and said, why is this happening? What have you done? Why have you done this? And the re- re- reply to them is, basically, these Hebrew women are so much stronger than you can imagine. That they just flip these babies out and they're born before we can even get there. And that's why they didn't throw them in the river. They were already born. So they couldn't do anything to harm that baby. Now these midwives were contained in their performance by the king of Egypt. But they were also unhindered by the God of heaven. And therefore Moses was able to live. Now what's the message of all these people that surrounded the life of Moses from his time he was three months old till he got to be 40 years of old age? Well I think the message is very simple. That she placed him in a waterproof basket, and the princess drew him out. I think the message there is that faith that Jacobet had and Amram had always requires action, and they had action. Faith is not passive. Say, I have faith. Yes, that's good. I have faith. But where is the action? The scripture says, show me your faith. And I show you my faith by my work, by what I do. Faith always has an action applied to it. So we have to look at our faith. 
We have to study our faith. And what is my faith doing to make the world better? What is my faith doing to make my church better? To make my home better? My family better? What is my faith doing? What am I doing with my faith to do those things? That's the message when she pulled him out of the water. Now little did Pharaoh know how God was working when it seemed like that Pharaoh was being successful. The big question, why, we deal with often. I dealt with that with a friend, Liz and I did, this week, who had lost a brother, who recently I had spoken to that brother when we were in Montgomery for their anniversary. And talked to that man. And then he came, he was very active at the church. He did a lot of things like the yard, keeping the yard clean and so forth. Deacon. And yet he came down with Kobe. And he lost the battle with Kobe. Why? And you have to deal with why. And I discussed that with God. And it seems to me God said to me, Tom, you have to realize people on earth wasn't fair to me either. That's the problem. We don't know how to be fair with people. Is that a sin? You determine. Being fair with people will put us forward and will put us happy and will put us on down the road. Now my concluding observations of all of this that this fellow Pharaoh was so fearful of making the wrong kind of decisions that he began to restrict people and he put in harmful and insufficient ways. You ever had a supervisor who um, wasn't really qualified for the position? What was that? Yeah. And what do they do? They're really not your friend, are they? Because they put in restrictions. And they put in harmful and insufficient ways. I had a personal experience with that. And some of you have too. So that's up what life is like sometimes. It has that element to it. And We have to know what we do with it. And we come back to what does my faith have to do with this situation? Now, 
The second thing I think in concluding observation is that's the first that we we don't help people. Secondly, when we hear constructive feedback, we have a reaction. And our reaction is often is, I guess I'm not good enough. And that's debilitating. Whenever you say to yourself, I'm not good enough. When God said, you are good enough. Follow me. Now I think we can take away today One, when we're deciding about our faith and how to deal with our situations, do a simple act, simple little thing. Take a mental pencil, mental paper, or actual paper and pencil, or do it with your computer, computer, laptop. Have two columns. You've done that, hadn't you? On one column is what could happen. And the next column is what could happen. List two possible outcomes. And then list the advantages of each outcome. And then list the disadvantages of each outcome. Don't just choose an advantage and go with it because I'm comfortable there. Under each possibility, list the advantages of that possibility and then the disadvantages of that possibility. The advantages and disadvantages. And then pray about that and consider those outcomes and choose the outcome that honors God and family and church. Now that's the process that we followed our lives. Have we done it always and got it right? No. But God brings us back to where he wants us. Follow his leading. He is there to lead. In the New Testament, we find that the Holy Spirit is so much prevalent in our lives if we recognize. And the Holy Spirit is a voice. And he shall hear a still, small voice behind his ear saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit upon Christian lives. Consider the two possibilities and choose the outcome that honors God, His church, family. Our Father, thank you for the people who cared for Moses, who nurtured his life, 
who sought the good ways to go and made good choices. Father, lead us and guide us and direct us in making good choices that honors you, family, and church. For I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.